The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning, church. Um, So today's scripture reading is out of the book of Acts, chapter 8, and it's going to be verses 26 through 40. And if you're following along in the books underneath the chairs, the Bibles, it's going to be on page 917 or on the screen behind me. All right, starting with Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb, before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out from the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and he passed through, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. <laughs> this is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. I, need, I needed a little levity. Thank you, Tyson. Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you just for uh, the community you brought here this morning. We thank you for your words. We thank you for m- music and how just uh, um, the beauty in voices. We thank you so much that uh, just your presence stills a heart. And uh, we just pray that this morning would be about you, that you'd be honored, exalted, and lifted up. And... Um, the truth be spoken of you, in Christ's name, amen. So uh, I want to give you a little overview where we're going. This is, a, I'm grateful to be having a little lighter passage to teach on this morning. I've, I've uh, last time was not fun. So this was kind of a joyful thing, and that's, uh, God kind of does what he does. Uh, I have my underwear on straight, by the way. Just some of you are wondering, I know. Shirt is not stolen, nor does it even appear to be stolen. So just with that, just get a little bit of the housekeeping out of the way. Here's where we're going. We're talking about ministering in the spirit. Uh, My breakdown will be this, the calling, 
And that's by the Spirit. That's Acts 25 through 28. That's obviously chapter 8. So we have the calling by the Spirit. We have the equipping, second section. The equipping, which obviously, again, is by the Spirit to uh, teach. That's Acts 29 through 39. Actually, it's 38, I think, if I'm not mistaken. I got a typo there. But the equipping by the Spirit, and um, that is to teach. And the joy in the Spirit, that's uh, Acts chapter 8, 39 and 40. So we have the calling, the equipping, and the joy all in the Spirit. So I'd love to have you walk away with one thing this morning. Um, for those in Christ, that the, that the Holy Spirit leads believers in all works of God. The Holy Spirit leads believers in all works of God. And that's really the takeaway when we look at this passage, but it's really the truth that for us as believers in Christ, that is what happens. If, if we're subscribing to what we believe here, the presence of the Spirit equips us, guides us, leads us, inspires us in all works of God, not most, not some, all works of God. And if they're not works of God, they're works of man, and we know what's going to happen with that. Put in a little bundle, bend it, put it in the fire. It's, it's pointless. So with that, with that, um, I, I want to ask two questions in opening. If, again, if you've experienced a new birth in Christ... The two things, we've been called to a specific mission or ministry, and it may be multiple. Some of you get extra work. Um, but we're called to specific ministry or mission. There are things that God says, I want to do with your life. And they're big picture things. You're going to serve somewhere. He's going to put you somewhere. And then that calling, God will direct us in the particulars how to execute the plan. And, you know, I wrote down a line here when I was preparing, and, and the particulars I won't say are as important as the big calling, but they're equal to the big calling and for this purpose. If you can't see the tree, does it matter if you're in the forest? Let me say that again. If you can't, sometimes they say, if we, if we, um, there's that statement, um, if you can't see the tree, the forest is the mission, but the trees are the particular. And if you can't see the tree, it doesn't matter if you're in the forest. So for a believer, we're called to a specific ministry or mission, and that the second point is that God directs us in the particulars how to execute that mission. Now, if you are not um, having experienced the new birth, I want to give you this. And this is interesting because when, when Jesus was teaching, people came to him and said, I want to know what the work of God is. And in John chapter 6, 28 and 29, they, said, they came to him and said this, what must we do? to be doing the work of God. These were unsaved people. And Jesus answered, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. So the introductory work is to believe the person of Christ. So um, just a little intro on the works there. Um, let me, let me just, uh, I got a little more housekeeping stuff, and I'm thinking I'm going to wind up with that later on. So the first passage, we open up the calling by the Spirit, Acts 8, 25 through, through 28. We have this transition. We're studying the book of Acts, which is basically the state of the church post-Christ's ascension. So Christ came, lived a life, ministered, died, crucified, resurrected, spent time on earth, and then was ascended up into heaven. And this is the book of Acts picks up going out. And we know from early Acts that there was ministering primarily by the Jews to the Jews. And then all of a sudden there's the stoning of P P uh, Stephen. So there's this great persecution in the church. 
And then we see Philip winding up in Samaria, which is, I'm trying to think of the right word. Um, the Samarians were, were half Jews, for lack of better words. And so you see this transition from the ministry from to exclusively to Jews, then to half Jews, and to this morning we pick up going to full exclusive Ethiopian, meaning a Gentile there. So it goes from Jew, half Jew, to uh, Gentile. Um, it's consistent with Acts 1.8, where Jesus tells his disciples Um, Upon that, they would stay in Jerusalem, and upon the receipt of the Holy Spirit, they would be witnesses in Jerusalem and to Judea and Samaria, and that's done now in the book of Acts, and then it says to the ends of the earth. So this morning, we pick up with what does that look like going to the ends of the earth. I'm going to start reading the passage. We're going to open up in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 27, and it says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. So through this angel, God takes the initiative and explicitly directs Philip to take this road from Jerusalem to, to Gaza. It's interesting, the word south in there, there were two Greek words, which actually could not only denote direction, but time of day. And the time of day, if correct, was high noon. So it makes things worse than the passage actually sounds off, because if it's high noon, it's the most unsuitable time to be traveling. So Philip might be wondering, why should he be taken away from a successful ministry? We know he was in Samaria. He had great results. Uh, I think it was Peter and John came up. Um, They had the incident with Simon the sorcerer. But you've got this great ministry taking place. And now God comes to Philip and says, time to go. So so the takeaway here, and I just want to give you a couple things. What is is really the takeaway just from the introduction here? Um, God calls Philip explicitly, where? Think about this. Think about us when God speaks. When God says go and he starts giving us details. He calls Philip to go and the question is where? And the answer is we don't know. And that's not really fair though. Truthfully, it's into the desert. You know, and by the way, it's alone. Which again is a treacherous thing back in this era of times because traveling alone um, was an incredibly treacherous act to go out without security Um, The criminal element, there was no standard little call list on the side of the road that if you get into trouble, like the flashing blue light on I-95, you get walking down the highway and you get into trouble, you just pick up the phone at the blue light and say, help, send the police. No, No blue lights for Philip here now if you get into trouble on the road. So the where is we don't know, but into the desert. Um, It would almost be better if you didn't have a destination, by the way. If you just said where and said, I don't know, that's okay. But no, it's going to be hot and you're going to be alone, and it's going to be dusty, and you don't have a destination to make things better. So there's the where. When it was now, drop what you're doing. And preferably, it looks like it's at high noon, which is the heat of the day, which means the trip's going to start out uncomfortable. With whom, again, I've said this, no one alone. And some people, and think about this, have we ever been called into an endeavor within the church and received criticism for being reckless, irresponsible, or uncalculating? We could rip Philip to ribbons on this one by saying, you heard from God? Really, Philip? That doesn't sound very responsible, does it? You're going with no one, alone, to an unknown destination, with, with no support, no preparation. What's wrong with you, Philip? Have you read your Bible, Philip? You're a steward of these things. So it's with whom alone, and again, that's not good. For how long 
Did he get any memo on how long? Chet's over there going, no, yeah, no. I'd like to know, God, if you're going to send me, will I be back by Monday noon? I've got some plans going on, right? If you think about us in this, it's, we've, we've got an agenda and a schedule. We've got timelines to meet. But for how long? We don't know. No schedule. And why? This is the bigger one. You know, if you said you're going to do great works of God, I might hold my nose and walk out the front door. But he's clueless. There's go. End of conversation. So let me ask you a question. What is the application for us? How many of us would be a will, willingly and obediently follow such a call today? Grins. Those are the people that are awake by the morning. You've had enough coffee. I appreciate the grin. You're like, have you lost your mind, God? If you think this through, really, if I were Philip, I'd be looking at God saying, you've lost your mind. I, this is not going to work. So how many of us would be feeling to, willing to obediently and not begrudgingly, it doesn't say, and Philip left mumbling under his breath, by the way. None of that's a, devoid from Scripture. Here's a question, though, and I think it's a bigger question in particular for us as Americans. How many of us are so preoccupied with our plans, our activities, and our schedules, and this is what horrifies me, that we wouldn't even hear the call? You know, you have to turn the radio down if your spouse is speaking to you, by the way. You can't hear what they have to say with it blaring, let alone God. And most often in my experience, God speaks in a soft, quiet, still voice. How much do we have to preoccupy ourselves with? And what does that do with our capacity to hear and respond to the call? And how many of us, if we actually heard the call, would tell God to get back to us when he's willing to give us a little more direction, a little more planning? How many of us would say, well, God, I know you're calling me to do this, but this is not prudent, this is irresponsible, and I don't have the provision, I don't have the people, I don't have the notice, and I have plans already. How many of us would follow? And, and I was, as I was preparing this, I started thinking about this because I've had some experiences in my life. The, the difficulty here isn't even that all these plans are kind of crazy. The difficulty here is that I usually squirm in my pants when I hear these calls. I'm going to feel like an idiot. That's what I'm, well, Jonathan, where are you going? Uh, I don't know. For how long? Well, I'm not sure. And what are you going to be doing? Well, not really sure. You know, the voice kind of gets a little higher. I'm, I'm an, I look like an idiot. And if I don't look like an idiot, if I can man up and say, well, I'm just going to do the work of God, I still feel like I'm going to make a fool of myself. And think about what Satan would love us to experience when we receive the calls. So, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 gives us the answer. We walk by faith and not by sight. And here's the big deal. If you've really heard the voice of God, vet it with a couple spiritually grounded friends, squared up with God's word. But at the end of the day, if you've truly heard from God, go. Go. What, what did Philip do at the end of the day? He went. He went. There are times that the most spiritually grounded brother or sister in Christ can undermine the plan of God for you. And that's a horrifying thought to really think that through. Because if he hasn't received the call, how does he know the way that you know? 
Acts 28, uh, Acts 8, 27 to 28 continues on. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in the chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So the story now, at least for uh, Philip, if, if you're on the road now, in the, in the dust, in the heat, nobody's around you, and all of a sudden you see in a caravan. This is not somebody just like in a one little buggy caravan. This is a filthy rich person, more like a vice president of a nation here, traveling with a massive entourage of security and provision, all right? So at least if I were Philip, I'd have a little sigh of relief, like, whew, maybe I can catch a lift. That's what I'm thinking at least. Not like I'm gonna have something to do with this guy. Who would ever wanna deal with me a little lowly nobody when this guy's running countries. There's the picture. And so we pick up with, with the second section, the, the equipping by the Spirit, and that's the equipping to teach. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. That's a, let, me, let me finish this and give you the American News Standard unedited Jonathan version in a moment. So Philip ran to him, probably having to broach the security. He probably ran up and opened up his cloak saying, no weapons, no weapons, I'm good. Because think about it, if you're a high noble official, there's some crackpot coming out of the dust, running toward the most important person in the convoy. What are you thinking? Terrorist. Quick, let's take it. So I figured he opened up his cloak to prove no weapons or something like that, nonetheless. So, so he hears, he runs up, and he hears him reading Isaiah, the prophet. And he says, are you an idiot? No, he doesn't say that. He says, do you understand what you're reading? Now, this is really kind of crazy if you think this through. Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Here's the unedited Jonathan version, modern translation. You are running up to the vice president of a large foreign nation, driving in his limo, surrounded by a brigade of security. You hear him reading something outside his window, and you shout to him, do you understand what you're reading? And he says no, and tells you to jump into the limo and keep cruising. There's the equivalent of what just happened. Now, what's really cool about this is when you trust God and these things start happening, Philip went from a dirt road by himself to riding in first class. He, he, he wasn't even in coach. He was on a dot. He probably didn't even have an animal. And he goes to first class next to one of the most important people he'd ever meet in his entire life. And you start thinking God has a great sense of humor. That's what I'd start thinking. So, so my question is this. Does God still orchestrate these types of events today? Does God do this? David, run down business 17 for me. You lost your mind? You know, does, does God call us to do these things? And, and I want to share a couple experiences because I'm 100% certain that God speaks today. Not, not kind of certain, 100% certain. And it's interesting because when I look back over my walk with the Lord, I have bizarre circumstances that come to the surface. And those are the times that I was stupid enough and uncalculating enough to simply go, to obey. So I want to share a couple experiences that things that, that, that I've experienced and some other people have experienced. On my 10th wedding anniversary, I went to the Grove Park Inn. If you're not familiar with it and you're getting ready to celebrate your 10th anniversary, save up tons of money and, and do, you, you will, your wife will give you a gold star. Trust me. 
Grove Park Inn is probably the most fancy resort I've ever been to. Um, with all the presidents, they got pictures of all the presidents on the walls. It's a cool place. And they've got this cavernous uh, spa underneath with um, mineral spring pools. They got music going on in the water. Like literally, you float in the water and you hear music. And caverns pouring water all over the place. Uh, and, they, and they overcharge you for everything. All right? So, and if you stay on the club floor, they overcharge you excessively, but they give you a funky robe that lets you go into the spa with no questions asked. So it's cool. You're like on the elevator going down. So I was like, where'd you get that robe? Club floor. That's all you have to say. <laughs> club floor? Yeah, that's where you go when you pay too much. Oh, thanks. <laughs> we'll just go from there. So, so I'm at this resort. My wife's off getting a, a massage. And I walk down. I'm in a bathing suit. And there's these fountains and pools and all kinds of stuff. And I walk over, and there's this woman there. And I want to be, I don't want to be derogatory, but I think Jabba the Hutt in a bathing suit. Now, in all deference, it's in a single one-piece bathing suit now. Looked rough. I mean beaten up rough. And I look over and smile. Hi. Hi. I'm feeling I just really uncomfortable like that this person sat down next to me in the jacuzzi and water's splashing on both of us now. And I hear, clear as day, pray with her. Like, what? No, 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 no. No, I don't want to pray with her. I don't know her. I'm supposed to be relaxing God. I'm supposed to be enjoying the, And this is the conversation in my head. And so I look over, and she's sitting there, and she's smiling at me, and I kind of like smile back uncomfortably. I'm like, hi. <laughs> and I've heard now. I know what I've heard. And I am squirming. I am squirming. How are you? And she says, I'm okay. And I said, well, are you here for some special reason? And she said, yeah, my daughter brought me here, and I've been very sick. And at that point, I'm noticing patches of hair missing on her head. And my heart starts to melt. And I realize I don't have a flipping clue about how to value a human being. I'm completely lost and defenseless about knowing how to treat a human being the way God wants me to treat another human being. And I look at her and I said, can I pray for you? And she says, yeah. And I just bowed my head and started praying for her. And now why is it 13 years later that sticks out like a glaring light when I look over my life? Because the point that I make is that when God touches a human being, it's a touch from God. I, there are things that I can't receive without him. And he didn't come to ruin my life and to make it no fun and to send me out on crazy missions. He came to know what it would be like to touch upon, the, uh, to have a relationship with the maker of the heavens and the earth. And that's an unbelievable experience. And I'd rather feel like an idiot for the rest of my life and do that every day, if that's what he calls me, to being the fool, the lost fool I was before he spoke. And that's why he calls us. He shows us something about who he is in these times. 
Philip's riding first class, by the way, too. I mean, this, this works. So let me tell you another story. I'm going to use JR as another one. I've, I've got other people in here. JR was driving. JR, where's JR? There he is, in the back, all right? So you can throw some stones at him. And I have a history of head trauma, by the way, so if you think I'm enough, that's okay. And maybe JR does, too. I don't know. But JR tells the story. He's riding down the road one day, and he rides by a guy on the side of the road who has no shoes. And guess what he hears God say? Pull over and give him your shoes. Now, J.R. likes shoes. He's confessed to having a problem with too, too many shoes. Now, he's owned that, but they're nice shoes on his feet. Were they Nikes? $100 pair of shoes? Am I? All right, he's nodding yes, $100 pair of shoes. So imagine if you're going down the road and somebody says, take off your $100 pair of shoes and give it to the guy. Now, J.R. thinks a lot like me and says, if I really have to pull over God, it's not going to fit him anyway, right? You've got to fab fabricate a plan here. So he pulls over. Walks up to the guy, how are you doing? Need some shoes? Yeah, yeah, I'd like some shoes. Takes the shoes off. He puts them on his feet. Anyone got, want to take a poll? How many people think the shoes fit perfectly? Give me hands, quick. Yeah, that's the problem with this, when God calls you to do these things. The shoes fit. He drives away, and then he pulls up somewhere else and walks in with no shoes. Be like, J.R., have some shoes? Need some shoes, brother? And... And, and the point I make is that these are stories that I don't understand why he, or what he's up to. I had a friend of mine who was, who was running a restaurant, and, and he's driving down the road, and he's got to go to newspaper, take out an ad, run a whole bunch of errands. He's pressed, and he hears, go to the flea market. Go to the flea market. And his response is like mine, God, I'm busy. And he rides by the flea market. Runs an error, he's coming back, and he hears again, go to the flea market. So he does, pulls over, goes in, and starts walking around. And this is great. He runs into somebody he knows, and the person says, what are you doing here? Uh, I'm supposed to be, and here's what he said. He goes, I'm supposed to be down at the newspaper taking out an ad for a short order cook. I'm short-staffed at the restaurant, and truthfully, I don't have a clue what I'm doing here. And the guy standing next to the person he's talking to him says, I just moved to town. I'm a short order cook. When do you need me to start? <laughs> and so there are times God will give us something we truly need. Sometimes he'll take something we don't. And other times he'll just touch your heart. And, and the point I make is this really truthfully. Um, what is, when we look back over your shoulder, what really matters? What really matters? And the answer is a lot of this does not matter at all. Why is it that we're, record, we're reading an event 2,000 years old about a guy who just obeyed? Winds up in first class seating and amazing things start taking place. So, so the question that I would have for us today is will we obey when we hear those words? I could tell a lot of stories, and in every one of those stories, is, there's a part of joy seeing how God displays who he is to me. And at the end of the day, is, do you want to see who he is or not? And there's only one way to do it, is the faithful and questioning obedience to go when called. So the Ethiopian asks, how can I understand unless somebody guides me? What a huge question that, that truly is. And, and for those who understand, we have a duty. When somebody's got a perplexed look on his face, we can ask, do you understand? See, if Philip didn't ask the question, which might almost be offensive at the time, he would have never had the exchange with the Ethiopian. 
And there are times that we're going to bring something up and we're going to feel uncomfortable and it might be offensive. Oh, well, I'm sorry. If you're wrong and you overshoot the mark, you could say, I'm sorry. Didn't mean to be offensive and move about your business. But look at the fruit of what takes place here. Back up to first class seating, brings them in. And the passage you're reading out of Acts chapter 8, 32 through 33 is this. And the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. And in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? He was reading from Isaiah chapter 53 verses 7 and 8. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I asked, does this prophet say this? About himself or someone else? And this is great. God will give you a softball. To me, this is a slow pitch into the strike zone. You just keep your eye on the ball and swing hard. It's leaving the park. I had a friend of mine who came to me who was unsaved at the time, and he goes, "I, I got one question. I've been hearing a lot of this Christianity stuff. What is the big deal about Calvary? Ah, the door just swings open. The big deal, you say. Let me tell you the big deal. And so Philip opened his mouth. Beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And what's really fascinating about this passage is we don't get the gospel. It just says he opened his mouth and he gave him the good news and it moves on. So when somebody comes to us and asks that question, trust God. There's so much scripture that says, I'll give you John 16, 13. Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. No matter if you're a theologian or not. Give him the truth you got. Luke 21, 15, Christ said, for I will give you words and wisdom. Just trust God. So what is the good news about Jesus that Philip spoke of? The same news we speak of today, that Jesus was God's one and only son, Boy, it's, it horrifies me. I heard stats recently that they said like a third of Protestant seminaries are no longer teaching the virgin birth. I was like, what? How, how is that? You got to butcher some scripture, at least ignore a good portion there. We believe the good news is that he, came, that he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, came and lived among men, that Christ was God incarnate. That's what we believe. That in his ministry, he lived a sinless life. He displayed power unlike any other prophet, any other single prophet ever seen before. At the end of his ministry, he was unjustly accused, tortured, and executed. That in his death, he suffered a substitutionary death for the penalty of the sin of humanity. That's what we believe. That's the good news. Saying that I've got a problem with sin before a holy God, and that there's a penalty for that sin, and that he took the penalty, and it won't be given to me if I believe that what he said is true. Gospel. And on the third day after his death, he rose again, appeared to again, his disciples over 500 others, and that he will return. I like that. Think that through. That's going to be better than first class seating, by the way, in a chariot. A physical return. CNN is going to have huge problems with that, by the way. Just trust me. Uh, and I'm not picking on one network. There's a bunch out there that are going to have real problems. So I would love... I look forward to that. I get excited thinking about that. Why? Make something up. Aliens. I don't know what happened. Use your head. I mean, they've gotten pretty good with evolution. Like there's a sea lion and then there's a cow. And a little puddle in between the two. And three billion years. I'm thinking, use something better. I would rather have some like alien came and put him in the zapper or something and just kind of evolve the DNA personally. Uh, sitting in the puddle does not grow legs. It doesn't work, at least according to what I've seen, or at least been around to witness. 
So let me go back to Isaiah 53, 7. I want to go on, and I want to talk a little bit about what Philip, I bet, did. Philip opened up Isaiah 53 and said, oh, this is the prophet Isaiah. Of course, you would know that he lived 700 years before our time. And that he spoke about a Messiah, a prophet that would come, who would fix and reconcile everything. And this man, Jesus, showed up, and he was murdered unjustly. And the prophet Isaiah says he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he not, opened not his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and his sheep before the shearer is silent. So he opened up not his mouth. And he said the man Jesus came before Pontius Pilate. And he said, what is your response? They dragged him before Herod, remained mute, silent. They tore out his beard. They flogged him. They tortured the man. They stripped him naked and executed him on a cross. So he was taken from the prison and from judgment. Who can declare his generation? Boy, it's a toxic, polluted one, no different than ours, though. For he was cut off from the land of living, meaning that this, this, this prophet would be killed. For the transgression of many people, he was stricken. And that what we were taught about this man is that when he died, it was a substitutionary death, that the sin that I have experienced and offends God is now fixed. He accepted the punishment. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. And they made a grave with the wicked. And what happened with this man, Jesus, is that he was crucified. And in between him were two common thieves. His death was the most shameful, disgraceful, humiliating death that could take place. Yet Isaiah comes back and says that he, he, he had made a grave with the wicked, but with the rich in his death. And there was a man named Joseph of Arimathea. And Nicodemus, forgetting the Nicodemus, picked him up. And cleaned his body and put 75 pounds of aloe and myrrh and wrapped his body and put it in a tomb that had never received a body before. And that's how the rich dies, as man Isaiah talked about the coming Christ. Made his grave with the rich. Because he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, meaning that through the payment of sin, he'll place you before a holy God without sin. That he should bear their iniquities. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressions. And he would have just simply explained how everything correlates to this life lived by this Messiah, by this prophet. What's really fascinating, again, is, is that we don't hear any of that. We just hear he gave him the good news. Acts chapter 8 continues, And they were going along the road, and they came to some water on a desert rose. What a shock. And the eunuch said, See, there is water. What prevents me from being baptized? What an amazing statement. His natural conclusion was, is that baptism is the outward expression of the receipt of the gift of God. And, you know, and I'm sure Pope, uh, Philip went into that, but he simply connected the dots and says, what stops me from being baptized? Looking like an idiot? No, 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 don't worry about it. You won't look like an idiot. You'll receive the favor of God and the blessing of his provision of declaring to the public who you've just professed your faith in. The principle here, very simple principle, take away the receipt of the gospel brings action. The receipt of the gospel brings action. The receipt of the gospel. You can't receive something and sit there. It provokes, it brings about a response in thinking and in action and in a heart change. And actually, if your heart changes, your thinking changes. And if your thinking changes, your actions simply reflect what you're thinking. And the Ethiopian on this first road received a new heart which affected his thinking, which flowed out naturally to action. So what's standing in the way of us taking action today, the way he said, what stops me? What prevents me from being baptized? And I'm going to say this. Um, years ago, I had a dream of wanting a second home in the mountains. And I praise God every day I was never given that home. 
but I didn't make the additional money to go and buy it because my time and ability to commit and do the things he wants me to do would be interfered with. And that's almost today liberating. It's almost freeing that I can just say, I don't know. I understand. The problem with us in our culture is that the more you have, the more you must manage. And it comes to a point with people that I've witnessed in personal experiences that stuff will stuff things more bigger and better will strangle the Holy Spirit who dwells within your body. And so I know what prevents us. I know what prevents us. A little bit of pride, a little bit of selfishness and stuff. More bigger and better. I'm grateful today I can say that though. And it doesn't mean I can't go to the mountains five weekends in the fall, right, honey? I'm already planning my first Hajj up to the mountains. Now, that doesn't mean you can't go there lots, right? I just don't have to pay the mortgage. And that's a great thing. The joy, the joy in the spirit. In Acts 39, it says this, and when they came out of the water, the spirit carried Philip away. That's bizarre, right? If you read scripture, you go, what? He just picked him up, teleported, and now we know where Star Trek gets the idea of the transporter, teleporter. And I'm going to tell you the truth now. All good movies have biblical foundations. Think this through. Superhuman strength. We're going to get an avatar body in the new heavens and earth. You're going to fall down a flight of stairs and get up, oh, no, polycarbon bones. We're good. They don't break. It's beautiful. That's what a glorified body is to me. You look at all the superhuman strength. What What do we receive in the end? A body of immortality. Immortality. Um, and again, we live forever. That death is overcome, that we possess ability not to face a demise physically. Good prevailing over evil, common theme. Theme of love never failing, biblical theme. Reading one's mind or knowing the hearts and thoughts. That's what God says. He can judge the praise hearts and thoughts of man, biblical in nature. Prevailing over space and time. If you've seen the recent movie, Doctor Strange, fantastic movie. And what does he do? He's able to bend and slow down time and manipulate reality. Things of God, that's all simple principle there. I don't know about it. And did you ever think Dr. Doolittle? Why didn't Eve freak out in the garden when the serpent started talking? What? A speaking snow. She goes, oh, yeah, we'll just chat with him. Well, you would have freaked out if you've never heard another animal talk as far as I'm concerned. But scripture records she just carried on the conversation. Biblical theme, Dr. Doolittle. That's all I'll tell you there. So theologically speaking... God can move through space, trust me, it's here. God can, dom- he can move through time as well. See John in Revelation. So Acts chapter 8, 39 picks up. And they came to the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went his way rejoicing. And in the wake of the things of God, there's one thing you can tell. Even in stress and distress of suffering and trials, there's joy. And there's something inside that, that, that there is Something that trans, it's not happiness. A, a joy is a deep satisfaction of knowing you're exactly in the palm of God. Immovable, unshakable, protected. I love the principle the saint is immortal until his, his work for God is done. The hallmark of obedience to the will and plan of God is joy. The Ethiopia confirms it. He went away rejoicing. But Philip found, found himself in Astos, and he passed through preaching the gospel in all the towns that he came to in Caesarea. Caesarea, Tyson, you got it? Just say it quick, Caesarea. Comes out real easy. But if you want to study the book of Job instead of Job, it's okay. And Palms is a perfectly good book in the Bible. I'm cool with that. So Philip didn't miss the boat. You know, here's the deal with Philip. He proclaimed the gospel. Proclaiming the gospel is what he did wherever he went. And if it's not that way, it's going to be an inauthentic gospel. That's a word. I just made it up. 
Proclaiming the gospel is what you do wherever you go. If I say, oh, I'm going to work, I've got to proclaim the gospel there. The gospel comes with you. The gospel is the essence of the person of God dwelling through the power of his Holy Spirit inside of you. As long as you take the muzzle off, the gospel will be proclaimed wherever you go. And it's simply confirmed there. Are we proclaiming the gospel as we go about our lives? So our ministry, our mission field, let me ask this just in closing. And I want to think about this just for a minute. Stop, like somehow stop yourself. Say, Jonathan said, stop, stop, stop. The question, who are, who are we called to care for? Who are you called to care for? It's not masses, it's one-on-one. Who are, who are you called to teach and train? To maybe ask a, a tough question. Do you know what you're talking about? You understand what you're reading? No, brother, I love you. Let me explain. Let me share. Who are we called to minister to? Are they small? Are they young? Are they old? Are they rich or poor? Are they hungry or well-fed? Are they located in Horry County or India? Where is our mission field as members of the body of Christ? Who are we responsible for as members of the body of Christ? Ephesians 2.10. Let me read this slowly. This is an amazing statement. For we are his workmanship, meaning he's going to display the fullness of who you are to the world. The things of God, you're going to be a poster child. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Now, I can't get my mind around that, but just accept it. Somehow, you're going to do a job in the future that he's already prepared you to do. Yet, you don't know it, but he does. That God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, if we are where we belong, are we obeying God in the details? Are are we developing an ear to discern the voice of God? Again, or are we just so preoccupied with ourselves and our activities that we miss the detail? If you don't pull over and intentionally set a time aside to listen, you're not going to hear That's my personal belief. If you get in the car, leave the radio off. That will drive some people crazy, by the way. Turn everything off. Say, God, speak. Amazing what you hear. Some of it is pollution, trust me, if you're like me. But then you're going to hear something that has to deal with no selfish interest. It has no no apparent personal gain to you, and it makes you squirm. Oh, that must be the plan of God. Yes, obviously. Do we live by the belief that the Holy Spirit leads believers in all works of God? Do we live by the belief that the Holy Spirit leads believers in all works of God? Imagine what the church in Myrtle Beach would look like if Philip showed in this this town. But you know, the truth of the matter is I look around this room and I see Philips all over the place. I see Priscilla's too, right? There's got to be a woman in there too. We have lots of Priscilla's here too. Priscilla or Aquila, which one's the female? Let's get them confused. But trust me, it don't matter about your gender with the power of God. Might actually use the woman more than you because she's able to suspend the contempt for the prideful baggage. Imagine what a church would look like if we let the Holy Spirit lead us in this little church called Doxa in all the works of God. If one man who lived in obedience to God could bring a message to change the heart of a near king, what could he do here? Myrtle Beach. See, God is calling. He's calling every one of us to a task. 
to worship in truth and spirit, and to be his witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I guess the question in closing is this, will we obey? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for, um, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray you'd give us an ear to hear that we would obey. We rejoice. We rejoice that, that there are times that we see who you are displayed in what we do. Uh, we pray that you will get all the credit. We thank you so much for, for just the capacity to care for one another. Lord, I pray that this church would be known for its love. And not much more really matters. But we thank you. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.